Our Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you once again for coming together as the church like we do. And Father, we thank you for all that has been done in this service. And I pray, Father, that you are honored and glorified. Pray now, Lord, that you would guide our discussion, our thoughts uh, as we go through the message here and look into your word, Father, that you would be honored here as well. So guide us, Father, as we seek to serve you and to honor you with everything that goes on in our lives. So, Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you all be seated? Um, I got an idea when Robert was singing. I think that Robert ought to talk to Penny and Aunt, whoever was, that made up the, the poem, and, and they ought to make a record and record that, and I'll be their agent. And uh, I won't charge them a whole lot. But uh, I think that would be a great thing to do, to make that a recording. They could do the Dogwood Worship Band, and uh, the whole whole team just get together and record that. Uh, five or six years ago, I was uh, on a prison trip with uh, Bill Glass, and we were down in, I believe it was Huntsville, where we were this time. And I was talking to a gentleman. He was an older gentleman, and at that time, when he, uh, was there. He was 69 years old, and he was telling me his story and told me about how that he was 69 and he had figured it up that out of the 69 years that he had been here on this earth, he had spent off and on 33 years in prison. Now, not all at the same time, he said, but in various things that I've done. He said, and then he said, my son, who was 44, he said he spent a, a, a time of, in prison in, in Illinois, and now he's currently serving a prison term in Texas. And then he looked at me, and he, he kind of grinned. He said, I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? I said, yeah, that's true. I said, uh, it's a shame that you guys couldn't have figured this out earlier and prevented a lot of heartache and suffering in your lives. But there's a truth here that I want you to realize, and that is that our lives affect the generations that follow us. And a lot of times we have to recognize that and we have to break that cycle. We have to choose to live differently and choose to to act differently, make godlier choices, I guess, because we understand that the people that are coming behind us are going to be affected by that. And I think some of you have probably experienced that in your own lives. Now, today we're beginning a study in the book of Judges. And this is a book that is the sequel to the book of Joshua. It's kind of like uh, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. There's always a sequel. And this is what the sequel to the book of Joshua is. They pick up and take you through the history of the beginnings of the nation of Israel after Joshua has died. They're in the land and so forth. And I will maybe next week take you through some of the background and the setting for this more in depth. But today what I want to do is this. I want to deal with a problem as they make this transition from Joshua to the time of the judges. There's a problem that surfaces, to our, at least comes to our attention, and it leads ultimately to the failure and the downfall of Israel. Um, the problem is the failure to pass the torch to the next generation. Um, the uh, the ones that were alive at the time of Joshua failed to pass the torch uh, on to the next generation. And as, as a, a result of that, the nation went through a series of failures. 
And um, this just becomes a habit with them. And you'll see as we go through the history of this and talk about it. But I want to look at the scripture uh, as we begin here uh, at the start. <clears throat> look at jo- I'm sorry, Judges. In Judges chapter 2, I want to look at verse 7. It says this, it says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now, let's look at the verse and don't just jump through it, okay? Because it's saying that Israel lived and served the Lord during the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who lived with him. Once that generation was gone, however, there arose a generation that didn't. Let's look at the next verse. It says in verse 10, after the whole, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And in this last phrase sort of summarizes everything. It says that they were in great distress. Now, this is how the the book and the early chapters opens up to let you know what's going on there. Now, let's look at a few things as we as we before we move on to some applications. This next generation had failed to live up to what that was expected of them. God had told them that if you don't serve me and don't walk with me and, and you go after idols, then I will destroy you. And what it's saying here is just that. They forsook the Lord, they followed and worshipped various idols, and they aroused the Lord's anger. And here's what the God did. It says here in the latter part of this passage. The Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. Now the raiders are just the people that still lived there. Now you've got to remember this is about 40 or so years maybe after Joshua um, and now the, those that they had left in the land have gotten stronger. And now they, the Lord actually brings these people against his, his people and they can't resist them. He says here he sold them into the hands of their enemies and that his hand was against them when they went out to do battle. See, this is what he had told them he would do. If you turn against me, if you go after idols, then this is what I will do. And sure enough, he did it. Now here's the question. As you look at this, and we'll, like I said, talk about it in more detail in the coming weeks. But as you look at this sad story of Israel having come into the land under such great, such great victory and such a time of, of excitement and blessing and so forth, and now they're failing and there seems to be sin in the camp that has just taken over, this question arises, then who's at fault? Who's at fault? Well, you can't discount the fact that those that made these choices are at fault, of course. I mean, there's free will, and they made the choice to go against the Lord. They're the ones that chased after the idols. 
But there's an interesting statement here in verse 10. I want to read verse 10 to you again and look at this. Because it says in verse 10, After that whole generation, that of Joshua, had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now I've got to ask myself a question when I read that. and Because here you've got Joshua in his generation of people that had made a decision they were going to serve the Lord. They weren't going to chase after idols. But then it says here that those that came after them, their children or grandchildren, they didn't know the Lord. And they didn't know what God had done for Israel. And I've got to ask myself, why not? What had happened? What is the failure here? And it looks to me like the failure is that they did not pass the torch down to the next generation. They didn't teach them about the Lord. They didn't model godliness. They did not talk about it evidently. And they didn't tell the stories or at least let them know what God had done in the past that they weren't a part of. But their parents were, their grandparents were, but yet somehow they failed to pass that on to the next generation. And so consequently, that generation, their children and grandchildren, have made ungodly choices. And their children and grandchildren now have decided that they would rather worship idols. And their children and grandchildren have now suffered the consequences of those ungodly choices because God had already told them a long time ago that if you do that, then I'm going to come against you. And your life is going to be miserable. And it was. And that's how you get into the book of Judges because the book of Judges covers those sinful acts and what follows over and over and over again. Now you can take this story and you can just plug into it. Instead of Israel, you could just plug in the United States there. Because you see, this nation is not what it used to be. You know, Tom Brokaw wrote a book years ago entitled The Greatest Generation. And in that book, he covered the stories of our parents and grandparents. And those that came through the uh, Great Depression, those who fought World War II, those who went to Korea after that, those who sacrificed so much, and he talked about what a great generation that was. And now if you look some 50 or 60 years later now at us and what we have become, that generation will be ashamed of us because of the decisions we make. You know, during the following World War II, the, our moms and dads and grandparents came home from the war, and it was a great time of prosperity here in this nation. Well, what happened after that with us, the baby boomers and those that followed? What happened when we came along? Well, what you've seen from that period down to now is a steady decline. A steady decline in our faith, a steady decline in our values and in our integrity and in our morals. And it seems like with each passing generation, or I should say each passing decade, you take it in 10-year segments, you can see that it just keeps getting worse and worse. So yeah, you could take verse 10 and read it this way. That after the greatest generation has passed away, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what the Lord had done for the United States. Because that's about where we are 
And so we have to ask the same question then of us, just like we did with Israel. Now, make no mistake about it, we've made the choices, okay? It's our choices that have got us here as a nation. Um, We can't blame somebody for our choices, but there is some blame to be shared. So who is at fault? Well, we are. Our parents and grandparents for failing to pass it on to us. Us, as we have failed to pass it on to our children, and the cycle begins, and until somebody breaks it, it's going to continue on. And we'll find ourselves, just like the man sitting in prison, who one day looks at himself and says, yeah, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, did it? Because we think that somehow we can go through life as parents and grandparents and not pass down the truth of Scripture and the knowledge of God, and somehow our children will just pick it up. And you know, because of the grace of God, many do. Let's be honest here. There are a lot of broken homes and destroyed relationships and bad parenting and so forth that takes place. And because of the grace of God, there are many people, some of you are sitting here, who have spiritually, you are, you are who you are because of choices you made. And that you're to be commended for that. But it wasn't because of the example that you had at home. Today what I want to do as we go through this and look at a few things, I want to share with you some godly principles for parenting. It's not exhaustive, it's just a couple of things I want to share with you in view of the fact of what happened here with this nation and in view of the fact of who we are and where we're headed as a nation. I want to talk to parents. I want to talk to grandparents. And I want to talk to you about some things that we can do here and now that would help prevent this from happening in our nation, in our families, in our lives as we prepare for the future and prepare our kids for the future as well. Now, I'm not standing up here today as a parent who's done everything right. I'm not that kind of preacher. I won't tell you that I've done everything right. I'm, I'm kind of trying to be honest with my congregation But I have learned from my mistakes. I've seen in myself things that I wish I could go back and change. It's just like I'm sure you have too. So whether it's something that I learned by doing or something that I've learned about myself over the years as I've looked back at my life, there are some bits of wisdom that I've picked up along the way. And so what I would like to do is just take simple examples that we encounter in our lives all the time as parents and grandparents and ask yourself some serious questions about how you measure up as far as passing the torch of the knowledge of God and godliness, how do you pass that on to this next generation? Now, it's been said that parenting is one of those jobs that you are never prepared for until it's after the fact, after it's over. Then you're prepared because you can look back and you can learn. And, that, you know, there's truth to that. And I've told you before that I believe that's the reason grandparents are so important. Because it's grandparents in the lives of our children that can help fill the gap, if you will, where mom and dad maybe have fallen down on the job and not done what they're supposed to do. Sometimes grandparents can be the missing link in this process. And the more they are involved in the lives of their children, their grandchildren, I think that it's a positive thing. And I want to encourage that. 
There are two mistakes that I want to talk to you about that probably are true with these people here um, in the book of Judges. These parents and grandparents failed to do some things, and we could probably just guess what those things are. But there are two mistakes here that I want to draw out and say to you and to myself as well that we need to guard against these things. These are the things that we need to watch out for. So I want to apply those to us. And here these two major areas are. Let me just go ahead and give them to you. I want to talk to you about the importance of setting an example in your life, setting an example to your children and grandchildren of what it should look like. And then I want to talk to you also on the subject of holding your children and grandchildren accountable. Now, you gotta, you got to admit that this problem here in the, with the nation of Israel didn't happen overnight. And it didn't happen in a vacuum. And so there are some things that I think mom and dad and grandma and grandpa did wrong here. I don't know what they are, but I can guess. And so as we look at this today, I want to challenge you. And just in some very practical areas. First of all, and let's look at this first, of setting the example for what you want your children and grandchildren to do. You see, I believe with all my heart that, that people, but especially children, don't learn so much by what you tell them, but they learn by observation. They learn because they see it in your life. Uh, they see how you respond to things. They've seen how you, you, your faith or your lack thereof. They've seen your devotion to God or the lack thereof. And probably more than you and I believe or want to believe, that has a bearing on those kids more than anything else. There's an interesting verse in the Bible. and You've heard it before. It's in Proverbs 22.6. It goes like this. In the NIV, it states it this way. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, in the King James, it says, train up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The whole idea is this, that you as parents and I, we have to be involved in their lives to train them and teach them what is right and wrong, how they should be living life while they're young, because when we do that, when they become older adults, even though they may veer from the path many times, the chances are they're going to come back to that because it is ingrained in them. Now, very quickly, the book of Proverbs, you've got to understand what it is. It's a collection of wisdom. Solomon wrote this and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he collected wisdom. Things that are just true. Things that if you pattern your life after these things, you're going to live a better life and be happier. It's reason all through there. He says, blessed is the man that does this. Because you're going to be happy and better off if you make these choices. Are they promises, ironclad promises, that if you do this, this is what's going to happen? Well, not all of them. They can't be because this is just wisdom. For example, you can train a child up in the way he should go all you want to, but in the end, that child is going to make a decision when they grow older as to the choices they make, and they, make, they may make foolish, ungodly choices. And there's nothing that can be done about that. But what he's trying to get you to understand is this. 
it may be 99 times out of 100 that you train that child up in the correct way. And when he gets older, he's going to come back to it. Even if he's left it, he's going to come back to it. You and I need to be aware of that. We need to know that this is how we're supposed to be, be doing it. Now, there may be several things that go into this idea of training up your child in the way that he should go. There are books written about this, and I'm not here to, to give you an exhaustive sermon on that. But this one thing I do believe is vitally important to training up the child. And that is that you set the example. That you show them by the way you live what it is that is important to you. And when they are older, they may veer off the path between now and then. But when they are older, you'll be glad you did. Because they'll come back. They'll come back. I want to share with you now some examples. Uh, This is just kind of a shotgun blast of examples that came to my mind of how you and I as parents, grandparents, as much as we are involved, can can, um, bring our children up in the way they should be, that we can set the examples. These are just practical areas. For example, let me give you this one. When I think of raising children and what we as parents and grandparents ought to do, the example that we all said, you know, prayer comes to mind. I believe that we as parents should set the example to our children that prayer is a vital part of life. Um, you know, I can look back at my life when I was going through seminary and working, and, you know, I, I, I wish I'd spent more time with my children back then, rather, you know, than to, I know it was a necessity, but, you know, we could all make excuses of having to work and go to school and all these things. And so I neglected a lot of things, and this is probably one of them. Because you don't always want to or have the time to or the desire to spend time praying over your children, praying with your children. And I want to encourage you that as if you are a mom and dad or a grandparent, you have the opportunity to pray over your children. And I'm not talking about just praying for them. In your daily quiet time, I'm hoping you're doing that already, but I'm talking about praying with them, praying over them. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think last August was we um, went up to Colorado to visit my daughter who lives in Colorado. Uh, My little granddaughter, I've showed you the video of her at Christmas. You know who she is, Maddie. Um, I went up a few days early to drive up to take some things up to my daughter. And Deborah and my, my son Brian, his two kids, Hunter and Ashley, and his wife, they came up all together on the plane and, and drove up there. But we met at a, a lake house that belonged to um, Bethany's husband, Brian, his family. So we were privileged and, uh, to have the freedom to go to that lake house, beautiful house on the lake, mountains behind it. It was, you know, north of Denver, kind of west of Denver, up in the mountains. Beautiful time. Air's crisp and cold, and it's just me and my daughter, Bethany, and my granddaughter, Maddie. Now, Maddie's two years old. She's bouncing all over the place, you know. And so I found out real quickly that an old man just didn't made for this. But as, as hyper as she was and as excited as she was, there was one morning in particular. We're sitting out on the balcony, and we're blowing bubbles and eating peanuts and just sitting out there, you know, and I'm drinking coffee. And Maddie goes in and out, in and out, running all around. And Bethany says, I'm going to take a shower. Can you watch her? I said, well, sure. So I set her up on my lap. And I I had a little blanket. You know, I put it around her because it was a little bit cool that morning. And so I'm sitting there and just, you know, the beauty and so forth. And I'm saying, 
I just felt led to pray over her. So, um, you know, I begin to pray. You know, you pray for the things that we as parents or grandparents would pray for. You know, you pray for their health. You pray over them. I'm praying out loud now. She's sitting on my lap. And I'm praying for, you know, her future and her spiritual knowledge and that she would come to know the Lord and the Lord would bless her. All the things that you would pray for your children for. Now, I noticed about halfway through this prayer that this kid has gone limp. She is sitting on my lap. She literally, I don't even know if she's blinking. I've never felt her so still, which was contrast to what she was doing. And so I prayed for a lengthy time out loud. And when I finished, I happened to glance down at her. Her eyes were big as saucers. And she had not moved up until that point. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is going on with her? Now, two things I, I conclude happened. Either the Spirit of God got around her and hold, held her and just calmed her down while I prayed, or she's in shock thinking, who in the world is Papa talking to? Either way, you know, I don't, I don't know, but she was just doing that. And, and now she's two years old. I doubt in 20 years she's going to remember that at two years old. But there'll be other opportunities for me to be with her, to pray over her when she is able to retain the knowledge of that and remember that. And at least she will learn from example that, you know what, prayer must be important to Paul Paul. You know, this is something that moms and dads and grandparents ought to be doing, praying over your children, because if you don't, then who will? And it's one thing to tell them. Teach them, you know, they ought to be praying, but it's another thing to pray over them. And I think that one of the areas probably where the Israelites failed, because they failed to, to teach their children about God or what he had done, they quit praying over their children. And I believe with all my heart that you and I ought to be praying over our children. That's a way in which we convey, by example, the importance of it. And they're not going to learn it any other way. Here's another example. Church attendance. If we don't bring the children to church, how are they ever going to realize that it's important? Now I'm a pastor, you know, and I'm going to always talk about church attendance. I'm always going to tell you that it's important and it's always vital to your life and you ought to be here. And that's to be understood because that's what pastors do. And unfortunately, a lot of people disregard it because the pastor said it. Pastor just what pastors are expected to say. But I'm talking to you as a father, a grandfather, and I'm telling you this, that if you don't set the example that church is a vital part of your life, then how are your children and grandchildren ever going to know it? You know, it breaks my heart to see kids come into the church and mom and dad didn't come. They just dropped them off. I'm glad they're here. But boy, I sure wish mom and dad would come. It breaks my heart to see people who show up about once a month because, well, the weather was bad. There was something going on. And we just made a decision not to come. And basically what you're doing is this. No matter what you say, no matter what you say, your children are learning that eh, church is no big deal. It doesn't really matter. And I just want to encourage you that you take this seriously. And that you understand how vital it is. Because if you don't set it, if you don't set that example, they will not learn it. 
you can talk to your blue in the face. They see what they see, and they respond to that. Teach them to be generous, to give. I think that's vital. Um, we as parents, grandparents, need to be teaching our children to be givers. I've told you before what we do at Christmas time with Hunter and Ashley. Maybe you didn't hear it. You weren't here that Sunday. Let me just quickly tell you what we do. We made a decision of five or six years ago that things were going to change. Deborah and I had always gone overboard buying presents for them because when we moved down here, I got two grandkids, you know, and I smothered them with gifts. Now, what we realized was this. It was killing us, and they didn't really appreciate it. So we did something different. And somebody, I think, mentioned or told Deb about this, and so we started doing it on Thanksgiving. They come down for Thanksgiving. We give them their Christmas money then. They get cash, not a check. They get cash in hand. It may be several hundred dollars, and we'll give them. And so they walk out of there with the money with these guidelines. Here are the guidelines. You go buy whatever you want. It's your money. And I want you to go and look for good deals, and I want you to come back, and I want you to tell me about the bargains and the good deals because here's what we're going to do. You take your gifts that you buy. Don't use them. You take them home and wrap them up. And you come back down here at Christmas time, and you unwrap them for me. You let me see them, and you tell me all about them. Why did you choose that? Tell me what a good deal you got. Did you bargain shop, or did you just go out and blow your money? And then there's one other stipulation, that whatever I give you, you take 10% of it, and you have to give it to somebody else. Now, you can do it through your home church, through a, a program they've got going on, Angel Tree, something, or you can know of somebody that's in need, and you have to give it to them. But don't come back down here telling me you didn't do that. And so they do. Now, we thought this is going to go over like a lead balloon. I mean, who would want to do this? They loved it. They loved it. We tried to, we asked them, said, do you guys want to go back to the old way? We'll, we'll buy the presents for you. No, they like this cash in hand business. And they enjoyed giving the money. They really did. And they would get excited and tell us what they, what they did and so forth. Now, this past Christmas is a little bit different. My grandson Hunter's in college now, Texas Tech, his first year. He wanted to go, go on a ski trip with his friends. So at Thanksgiving, we gave him his money, said, whatever you want to do, it's your money. You know the guidelines. So he saved his money and the money that his mother and daddy gave him and had no Christmas presents, but he went on a ski trip. Loved it. But it was quite a little bit different. When Ashley is telling all about her gifts and everything, and Hunter said, well, I went on a ski trip. But that's his choice. But either way, they had to give something. They had to give something back. Now let me encourage you, okay, as parents. Don't give your kids money to put in church. Give them an allowance or give them chores to do where they earn the money. With one stipulation, that you have to give back a certain percentage of whatever you decide to the Lord in some form or fashion. You may know of a missionary you want to send some money to, then help them do it. You want to drop the money in the offering plate on Sunday, then help them do it. You want to give something to somebody that you know that's in need, or maybe a, a family that doesn't have money and you want to help, then help them do it. But it's got to be their money. Giving somebody else's money benefits me nothing. And it doesn't really change my heart. But when I have to part with my money, and this is the whole thing about giving, God says it has to cost you something. David said, I'm not going to give God something that didn't cost me anything.
It has to be a sacrifice. Kids need to know that. They need to learn it. And they're going to learn it from mom and dad. Learning the Bible. My gosh, yes. How are your kids ever going to learn the Bible if you don't teach it to them? If they don't see that it's important to you? Read to them. When your children, especially when they're young, you ought to get you one of these big Bible story books with the pictures. And I can remember as a child sitting there with my mother, and my mother would read me about Samson and Delilah. And I would cry when Samson pushed the pillars away and a thing fell on him and killed him. I mean, I was into it. You ought to be. You ought to be getting your kids into it to teach them this is what God has done. And this is what God can do for you. I mean, when they're smaller, it's when the time to do it. They ought to be in Awana. Awana is one of the best programs for learning the Bible, and you ought to have them in it. There's no excuse, Mom and Dad, no excuse. Sunday school, absolutely. Youth group, whatever. They ought to be a part of this because it's vitally important that you model to them that knowing and living the Bible is important. And they're not going to learn it otherwise. Honesty and integrity, you need to be modeling that. Whatever it means, however you do it, you need to be modeling it. Admit it when you're wrong, Mom and Dad. You know one of the things that drives teenagers away from the Lord? The hypocrisy of their parents. The hypocrisy of their parents. You're saying one thing and doing another. You're putting restraints on me that aren't on you. You make mistakes and don't admit them. They see it. They see it. So when it comes to honesty and integrity, then you ought to be able to say to them with a certain degree of humility, you know what, I blew it. I did. I blew it. And I make mistakes as a parent just like you do. And I have to admit that I'm wrong and I have to go before the Lord too, just like you should. Speaks volumes. You need to be teaching them how to love, what unconditional love looks like. You should never, ever hold your kids hostage with your love. It's unconditional. Do you know that? It doesn't have anything to do with discipline. You can discipline, but they have to know you love them. and It has to be shown to them. Unconditional love. They need to see you loving their mom or their dad. They need to see you, and I'll talk to the men for a moment here because that's you know, where I'm coming from. If you are rude, disrespectful, and abusive to their mother, your girls will grow up to marry a man just like you. They will. You'd think they would know better, but here's the problem, see. They grow up and are gra- they gravitate to the person that they're most familiar with. Familiarity is what they're seeking. It feels comfortable. And all of a sudden, they're married to a man just like Dad. You've got to set the example. Mom, you too. What it means to love your spouse, they need to see that. So, examples. We could go on forever. That you are illustrating for them how to live as a believer. You've got to show it to them. You've got to set the example. Here's the other one thing that I wanted to share with you about. That is to hold your children accountable. Hold them accountable. I believe with all my heart that this problem that happened with Israel at this time in history, it didn't happen overnight. Um, I think that it was a slow, steady slide. 
that mom and dad watched their kids sin against God in little areas and didn't correct it. They watched them make ungodly choices and decisions in little areas and didn't correct it. Until one day the kids grew up and said, I don't want your God, and walked away. You and I have got to understand the importance of holding children accountable. We confront bad behavior no matter what it is. You confront it. And mom and dad, listen to me. You need to be consistent with this. I can look back at my life and I can tell you from experience that I wasn't always consistent. You know, you come home from work or, or school in my case and work all day and you come home about supper time, you're dog tired. You lay down on the couch and the kids are misbehaving and you just yell in there. Stop it. And through about five or six times of stopping it, you might then get up, and when you do, you're really angry and you tend to explode. That's not holding your kids accountable. That's just abusive. You know, Bethany and Deborah talk a lot on the phone, my daughter, and she's talking about Maddie, her firstborn, and she'll say, Mom, she'll, she'll, I'll tell her not to do something and she'll do it anyway. And I'll tell her again she does it anyway. And so I'll stand there, and it could be touching something that she's not supposed to touch, and she'll touch it, and I'll move her hand and say, no, don't do that. Or I'll pop her on the hand. I'll do something. And finally, it's like she wears me down. And her mother gave her this advice. She said, this is something I learned in raising you girls, and that is this, that you have to win at all costs. You have to win. Now, we think, well, that's, that's good advice. Well, no, that's critical. Because if when they're young, you let them win, you'll never get them back. You've got to control. You've got to handle. You've got to hold them accountable. Whatever form of discipline, go get a good book and read it, okay, about discipline. Now, you make the choice on that. But whatever you choose, you be fair. The punishment has to fit the crime. And you be consistent. It's not okay for you to sit in there. I'm counting to three. One, two, three. And then they do it at the last second. They're just taking you up to the wire. It's not enough for you to sit in there and say, I'm not going to tell you again. You know, I told you before, my mother kept saying, I'm not going to tell you again. I yelled back, good, I'm tired of hearing it. Didn't do that but once. That got her moving. You don't want to do that, but, but just be consistent and be fair. Here's what it says, what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Here's what he said. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, do you know what exasperate means? Loosely translated, it means to frustrate or discourage or just to break their spirit. You know, we do this because sometimes we're just overbearing and unrealistic and unfair in the way we treat them. Other times we just ignore them. Either way, it's frustrating them, it's confusing them, it's discouraging them. You and I have to be parents all the time. We don't really get a break. You realize that? And when it comes to holding your children accountable, it means that you've got to be on top of it, you've got to be there, and you've got to respond. And we don't often like that. Sometimes we dads leave that up to mom because, you see, we're at work all day. We're not around them. We want to be liked. We want to be the cool daddy. That's not fair to mom. So, very quickly, 
what do we do as parents? Well, number one, you've got to set the example, okay? You've got to set the example. And number two, you've got to hold them accountable. You've got to stop letting them get away with things that don't seem that big. Just stop letting them get away because little things become bigger when they're teenagers. You've got to stop it now. So there's, good gosh, there's so much we could talk about, but we're not. We're out of time. Um, but I just wanted to, to give you a few insights into parenting, some major things about holding them accountable and um, setting the, the example. Now, my prayer for you is this. Those of you that are young parents, you know, my time of parenthood is over. Some of you, as I look out here at you, you've got a house full of kids, you know. And I wouldn't want to do it again, okay? But it's the best time of your life. It really is. But you're going to have to put forth the effort to make sure that what you're doing is you're passing the torch to the next generation. Don't let it ever be said of your family, no matter what happens in this country, don't let ever let it be said of your family, that you know what? Mom and dad failed to teach them. They didn't know the Lord and they didn't know what the Lord had done. Don't let ever let that be true of you, okay? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality that parenting is a big job. Parenting is important. And Father, I pray that as we look at the failures of the nation of Israel, that we learn from those mistakes. And that we learn, Father, that we as parents have to set an example. There's no time off. We have to always have the example that we want our children to follow. And the Father, we need to hold them accountable. We can't just try to be cool and easy and nice all the time, but sometimes we have to set the boundaries and hold to them and don't let them, don't let them move those boundaries. Father, no one person can make rules and regulations for somebody else's children because we're all different. But Lord, there are overriding principles that I want all of us to follow. Father, these are important. They're critical. Help us to be that kind of a parent. And Father, for those of us that are grandparents now, and our time is over as far as our responsibilities as parents, Father, we still have input in that next generation. And what times we do have with them, when we are there with them, oh God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know how best to help them. And Father, may we raise a next generation that is totally different from the one talked about here in Judges. May our children and our grandchildren know the Lord and walk faithfully with Him all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.